the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. When it comes to the creation of the English Bible, there is one man who is key in assembling it all and making it happen, and we'll turn our attention toward him over the next two programs. Join us for Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. I would imagine if I were to ask, you would say that there are probably two to five Bibles in your home, depending on how many people live there. It is something we oftentimes take for granted. In fact, oftentimes the dust on the Bible will prove that. Welcome to Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose and online at reformedheritage.org. We're continuing our little mini-series of church history, and we've spent some time looking at the history of the English Bible. And in the midst of it all is a guy by the name of William Tyndale. William Tyndale and the Bible is the subject of our time today. We'll also spend time in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Here's Pastor Gary and today's Abounding Grace. Now, my justification for preaching a sermon on history has to do with what the Bible teaches about history and how a Christian is supposed to approach it and study it. History and the study of it has a very important place in the lives of the people of God. And I have said that there are four words that catch the gist of the usefulness of studying church history in each of our lives. Those four words are pattern, progress, instruction, and encouragement. There is a pattern, a plan to history, because it is all decreed and ordained by God. And as you begin to understand something of that plan, things that otherwise would be bewildering start to fit together. And history then makes a lot more sense. Progress. History is not just going nowhere. It is not cyclical. It is not that what goes around comes around. It is that history has a very definite goal toward which God is moving us, which is the second coming of Christ. And in that movement of things, history is on an upward course. The kingdom of God continues to advance in its triumph over its enemies until one day the glory of the knowledge of God shall overcome the earth as the water covers the seas. And there will be a Christianization of the earth. And there is progress in history. Third, instruction. History is given to give us instruction. You can observe the godly lives of men and women and young people and see how they interpreted Scripture. See how they understood it and how they applied it 
the right way they did it, the wrong way they did it, and receive instruction from the men and women who have gone before us. Then lastly, history is encouraging to us. In fact, Hebrews 12.1 tells us, you really can't live the Christian life unless you feel something of the flow of history and understand it and appreciate it and have some knowledge of it because it says we can only run the race of life successfully as we understand that we are compassed about by a great cloud of witnesses. These men and women of God who faced similar struggles and worse struggles than we and have triumphed through those struggles. They can be of great encouragement to us when we have to deal with hard times in our own lives. Now, this is the third message of the history of Christianity in the British Isles that I have delivered from the first century through to the 17th century. And so far, we have gotten up to the 15th century. That is, we have worked up through the gospel, getting to the British Isles during the time of the Roman Empire, perhaps as early as 64 AD before the fall of Jerusalem. But rather it was that early or not, we do not have a reason to believe, we, we do have reason to believe it got there in the first century, and then we traced it up through the 1400s, and concluded with looking at the great ministry of John Wycliffe and his followers, his preachers, who were called Lollards. And remember this man, though he lived 200 years before the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century, nevertheless was preaching Reformed doctrine, biblical doctrine, in the midst of the Middle Ages. And his preachers continued to preach on up into the late 1400s and early 1500s. Wycliffe's churches, though they were persecuted, were found in the late 1400s to early 1500s all over England. The Bible has been translated into English, and the English people had been reading Wycliffe's Bible for many decades and many portions of the Bible in English, like the Psalms, had been around for centuries. Then, in the early 1500s, a man by the name of William Tyndale was born. Understand and bear in mind that the advance of Christianity in the British Isles until the time of William Tyndale in the early 1500s God was orchestrating events all over the world for William Tyndale and his Bible and the Protestant Reformation. God was even doing things in the East, the Middle East in Turkey, to get things ready in England for the birth of William Tyndale and the English translation of his Bible. For instance, in 1453, the Muslim Turks captured the great Christian city of Constantinople and drove out scores of Christian Greek scholars who fled to the West to take refuge in the various countries of Europe away from these Muslim Turks in Constantinople. You might say, okay, so? Well, these Greek Christian scholars went to the West 
and with them brought a revival of interest in the ancient Greek and Latin classics. And this was a part of the foundation that God was laying for the Protestant Reformation in England. In 1455, Gutenberg produced the first complete Bible with his new printing press that he had invented called the Latin Vulgate. In 1458, the Greek language was taught for the first time at the University of Paris. In 1476, the first Greek grammar book was produced. Then a couple of years later, the first Greek dictionary was written. In 1488, the Hebrew printed Bible appeared. And in 1492, the first Greek teacher was hired at Oxford University. The first grammar in English, first Hebrew grammar in English in England, 1503. The first Hebrew dictionary in England, 1506. And in 1516, Erasmus produced the first Greek edition of the New Testament. Now you can see how what God was doing with the Muslim Turks and conquering Constantinople was getting the West ready for the Protestant Reformation. You see, people had quit reading Greek, and now they not only had a revived interest because of these scholars who fled to the West, but they actually had Greek and Hebrew manuscripts now that would facilitate tremendous in-depth study of the Word of God. By the end of the 16th century, there were over 80 editions of the Latin Vulgate printed in Europe alone. And besides the enormous popularity of this great Latin version, there were versions translated and printed in the native language of several countries of Europe. German, Russian, Slav, Bohemian, Italian, Spanish, French, Dutch, all in the late 1400s and early 1500s before there was one Bible printed in the English language. During the same time period, the late 1400s, the early 1500s, there was tremendous business, uh, economic and commercial and scientific enterprises going on all over the world. The printing press began its work, as I said, in Germany with Gutenberg in 1540, 1554. And a man by the name of William Caxton, C-A-X-T-O-N, brought the first printing press to England in 1470. Columbus discovered America in 1492, of course. In 1497, Vasco da Gama went around the Cape of Good Hope. In 1520, Magellan sailed around the world. In 1473, Copernicus was born and his epic-making work revolutionized the entire science of astronomy. God was getting the world ready for the birth of William Tyndale and his Bible. We don't know for sure when Tyndale was born, but his much thinking is that it was in 1484 in the county of Gloucester on the edge of the Cotswold Mountains. We know nothing of his early childhood except... We do know at the age of 12, he entered Oxford University, and he remained there for 11 years. By 1520, Oxford University, to use the words of that day, 
was infected with the writings and the teaching of Martin Luther. Now, please bear that in mind as we go on. While he was at Oxford, he studied languages, literature, philosophy, and theology. He became quite a scholar and was ordained into the priesthood, of course, the Roman Catholic priesthood. Later, he went to Cambridge University to study, where it is most likely he studied under Erasmus. Remember, I mentioned Erasmus earlier, who produced the first complete New Testament in Greek. And Tyndale met such men who were there at the time, such as Hugh Latimer, Thomas Billing, Thomas Cramner, who was later the Archbishop of Canterbury, all of whom were burned at the stake because of their Reformed faith. So he was rubbing shoulders with men there who had the smell of fire on their clothes. At the age of 27, William Tyndale took a position as a chaplain in the house of a man named Sir John Walsh. And he became the teacher of his children in a little place called Little Sodbury Manor. And as you would expect, it wasn't long before Tyndale came into conflict with the local Catholic priests and church dignitaries in his preaching and teaching. In fact, early on, a charge was made against him that he was spreading heresy in and about this town of Bristol. And that heresy was, of course, the Reformed faith. What was the religious condition of England at this time? Well, we've gone through 15 centuries of Christianity in England, but what was the religious condition of England in the late 1400s and early 1500s during the early days of William Tyndale? Well, although there were still godly followers of the great John Wycliffe to be found throughout England, the majority of ordinary English people had forgotten there was a man named John Wycliffe that ever lived very much like the lost memories of Americans today. Many people still read Wycliffe's Bible in secret, although in 1488 a convention of bishops at Oxford forbade any further translations of the Bible into English, and they warned people about reading the Bible in English. And if they were caught reading the Bible in English they would suffer the penalty of excommunication. It should also be pointed out that during the 1400s, the English language was going through a tremendous change. Therefore, there was a dire need for a new translation of the Bible to fit this new form of English. There was some beginnings of the Protestant Reformation back during the 13 and 1400s through John Whitcliffe and his preachers, but they were ruthlessly suppressed, ruthlessly butchered, yet the truth that they preached was never fully abolished. It was driven underground. Then in 1530, now remember in the early 1500s, William Tyndale was at Oxford and Cambridge, and in 1530, King Henry VIII broke with the Roman Catholic Church and established the Church of England under his supreme leadership. 
King Henry declared himself the supreme head of the Church of God on earth in England and demanded that all Englishmen, including the clergy, submit to his tyranny in the church as well as the state. And those who refused to recognize him as the head of the church suffered tremendous persecution, imprisonment, torture, banishment, and even death. There was an interesting incident in Tyndale's life. In the early days of his ministry, a Roman Catholic scholar asked him, which would be the worst to be without, the Pope's law or God's law? Then the scholar said, we would be better off if we were without God's law than to be without the Pope's law. Well, as you can imagine, Tyndale was appalled by that statement, and he made this very famous reply. I defy the Pope and all his laws. If God... Sorry. Spares my life ere many years, I will cause a boy that drives the plow to know more of the scriptures than thou dost a plowboy. After a remark like that, Tyndale said, I'm going to dedicate my life to make sure that a farmer knows more about the Bible than you do, Mr. Roman Catholic scholar. And that, beloved, must be our mission as well. Now, there are, many, there are some people and some groups who aim at the intellectual remnant that go after the movers and the shakers, the wealthy, the intellectual, the powerful, and try to convert them to Christ. And that's great. But the Bible tells us, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the weak and the base to confound the high and the mighty. The Christian church is never going to have many wealthy people, although it will have some. It's not going to have many intellectual people, although it will have some. But it's going to have a lot of plowboys. And it is the plowboys God is going to use to conquer the world. So from that time on, Tyndale knew what his life work must be to translate the Bible from the original Greek New Testament and the original Hebrew Old Testament into everyday English for everyone, including plowboys who could read. Now, remember, we talked about Wycliffe's translation of the Bible a bit. He didn't translate the Bible from Greek and Hebrew. He translated the Bible into English using the Latin Vulgate. There had never been a complete Bible translated from the original Greek and Hebrew until William Tyndale came along. Because Wycliffe's version was in an outdated English, because it was not translated from the original languages, but from the Latin, it was growing obsolete. And in many places, it was difficult and obscure to read and understand. So a new translation of the Bible was needed, and Tyndale understood the need. In those days, if you wanted to translate Scripture into English, it was necessary to obtain a license from the bishops. Licensing. Doesn't that sound pretty familiar? So Tyndale approached the Bishop of London asking for a license 
And, of course, the bishop refused to give him one. It wasn't long before Tyndale realized the only place he was going to write and publish an English translation was not in England, but was on the continent of Europe. So once Tyndale realized he would not be able to get his English translation published in England, he went to Germany, Hamburg for a while. He went to Cologne for a while, and while he was in Germany, he began to also improve the knowledge of his knowledge of Hebrew. Now understand, he's translating the Greek New Testament and learning Hebrew on the side. And not only that, but he was also skilled in other languages, as I mentioned earlier. And one of his contemporaries said that whenever he spoke one of those languages, one would think it was his native language. Well, he was there. He had his Bible printed, and he printed some 6,000 copies of the New Testament in Worms, Germany, which he smuggled into England in bales of wool. Now, keep in mind, English translations were forbidden. The Bishop of London had a great network of spies, which we will speak a little bit more of later. And also, the bishop found out about these smuggled Bibles, so he bought them all the Bibles in the bales of wool, and ceremonially burnt the whole lot outside St. Paul's Cathedral in London. Today, there remains only one complete copy of that original Bible, and a few years ago, it actually sold for one million pounds. Well, Tyndale was shocked that his entire production was bought and burned by the bishop, but he wasn't shocked for very long because he retained the profits from that cell. Some bishops just aren't very smart, are they? So with the profits of the sale of these Bibles and bales of wool, the bishop enabled him to print a second edition of his Bible and begin printing the Old Testament as well. Now, why is Tyndale's translation of the Bible so good? Well, I believe for five reasons. Tyndale's creativity... The nobility of his language, his accuracy in translation, the, rhythmi the rhythmic way he wrote things. It was obvious that he wrote his translation to be read publicly because of the rhyme it had to it and the freshness with which he translated the Bible into English. Some of the phrases that he used have become household sayings in every century since and form the very tapestry of our everyday language. Some of these phrases are so noble and memorable that whenever we want to express ourselves as lofty and as highly as we can, we use Tyndale's phrases. I'll tell you what some of, those, uh, some of these are, and you will see that William Tyndale's influence on the English language has been at least as profound as Shakespeare's influence on the language of not even more so, because Shakespeare was born 28 years after Tyndale's death, and he was himself a diligent student of Scripture, having been brought up on the Geneva Bible, which contained all of Tyndale's translation. When any of Shakespeare's characters quote the Bible, it's not the King James Version they quote. It is the Geneva Bible. 
And many times throughout Shakespeare's writing, he makes allusions to Tyndale's running commentary and footnotes. That is how well he knew it. Shakespeare did, did have a big influence on English. There's no doubt about that. But he learned English at the feet of William Tyndale. And that'll bring us to the end of our time today here on Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Thank you for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that we've been able to encourage you in Christ and stimulate your walk in him. To address questions, comments, prayer requests, or concerns, please call or write to us. We'd love to talk with you. 408-866-5607 is our phone number, 408 408- Eight six six five six zero seven. You're also welcome to visit our website. Drop us an email when you do, reformedheritage.org. Real simple, reformedheritage.org. A lot of information there about who we are. We would invite you again to stop by, reformedheritage.org. Or if you're writing to us, the address is PMB, post mailbox, 402, and the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032. That address can be found on our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, simply call 408-866-5607. Copies of today's program are just $5. Mention today's date, and we'll get a CD out to you. And please remember that we are listener-supported, which means when you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this station. It's a great way to study God's Word together, isn't it? And we'd love to continue to do so. Would you prayerfully consider how God might be leading you to partner with us? We'd love to hear from you. Again, won't you call 408-866-5607 or reformedheritage.org. Sunday services, by the way, if you'd like to join us, are 2 in the afternoon. We're located at Lone Hill Church, 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org. Again, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. Further information can be found again at reformedheritage.org or by calling 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, God bless. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.